Hey there, this is Sophie. Before we get started in our deep dive podcast conversation today, I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy our podcast, you might also enjoy some of the other great content we have available for you on YouTube, our blog, and on our website. Check it out, russellinvestments.com. If you look at, at revenue that our federal government collects every year, I uh, look at data from the Tax Foundation from uh, year 2018, 41% of all revenue came from the individual taxpayer, 41%. Oh, wow. By far the biggest contributor to our revenue. If 41 cents of every dollar comes to the individual, this bill, that the stimulus or the, this, this money being spent is gonna be borne by us as individuals. Most people think about wages and income, and that's what we think about taxes. We think about you know, how much we pay on our wages. But there is a, another material amount of taxes that also comes from interest income, capital gains, dividends, that also are a, are a big deal. That's also a, a big chunk of the revenue that comes into the, to the federal coffers in, in the form of taxes. Sometimes I kid around, it's like carbon monoxide, the silent killer. People are not aware that this, this, these taxes are hitting their investments. People often don't even connect the dots, don't even realize they're paying it until, until later on, April 15th or July 15th, or if, if they ever realize it at all, how, how much they're actually paying. Welcome to the Helping Advisors podcast by Russell Investments. I'm Sophie Antelgibert, head of North America Portfolio and Business Consulting for Russell Investments Advisor and Intermediary Solutions Business. For many investors and advisors alike, the first half of 2020 has looked nothing like what we had planned. Whether that's because of the global pandemic or because of large market swings, routine has been pretty absent for most of us. Even the routine of filing taxes in mid-April got upended this year. Instead, we're all here right now looking to file right around mid-July and meeting those filing deadlines, for better or for worse. Now, I know that this is gonna sound crazy, but at Russell Investments, we believe that any day that investors and their advisors are thinking about taxes is a good day. Crazy, right? I warned you. So we think about taxes at Russell Investments every day of the year because we are passionate about helping taxable investors keep more of the return that they earn in partnership with their advisor because they've worked really hard to earn that return. Now, we believe that advisors who focus on taxes can also add tremendous value for clients and that a tax-managed focus can potentially also translate into business growth for the advisor. And that's what we're going to focus on today especially in this current environment marked by coronavirus and market volatility. Now, to give us some insight into what the tax landscape looks like today and how advisors can capitalize on the current environment to help their taxable clients and potentially grow their business at the same time, I'm joined by my colleague, Frank Pate. He's a senior director for our portfolio consulting group, and he wears multiple hats and comes by his tax passion, honestly. And when I say tax passion, you will hear it. He's a CPA, and he's been working with advisors for over 16 years. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Sophie. Good to be here. Thank you. Maybe you can get us kicked off with, with sort of a view of as we head into the second half of this year, the total amount of COVID-19 related sort of federal stimulus is growing and growing. It seems almost every day and it seems a little bit unrelenting. Um, and at the moment, it sounds like it's just under $3 trillion. Now, we're not going to comment right now on whether that's money well spent or not spent, um, but I'd like to get your perspective um, and help us understand from an investor's standpoint, 
and I guess especially a taxable investor's standpoint, what does that mean and why does it matter? $3 trillion is a lot, but as a taxpayer, how should I be thinking about that? Yeah, thanks, Sophie. And, and again, it, it's, a, it's, it's a fair question. We can argue about if it's well spent, how spent, whatever. But either way, the point is, at, at some point, the bill is going to come due. We have to pay for that. And it's interesting because often people think that corporations, the other areas pay more of the tax. And corporations only pay about 4% of the total revenue for the for federal federal uh, intake. As individuals with us having by far the big, the biggest uh, chunk of it, it's something we need to be aware of and realize that that uh, we have to pay our share for it. And uh, they're coming, they'll be coming, I'll say, after us. That sounds so 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 dark, but it is something that we're, we're going to have to be aware of and have to pay going forward. That's um that's a lot of taxes. Is there is there anything that advisors you know we're halfway through the year things are yes we're filing for taxes now we'll be filing if if all goes well well, quote unquote, it's hard to know what to wish for these days, but hopefully next year we'll be on a regular schedule of filing in April again. So between now and then, or between now and the end of the year, is there anything that advisors should be aware of given this situation? Let's talk about capital gains. I think that to your point, given they're halfway through the year, it's worth spending a few minutes just to make sure we're all on the same page on on, on capital gains and, and how that impacts uh, investors. Uh, if you think about people investing in mutual funds, Every year, a mutual fund is going to add up its gains and its losses that are recognized over that year. And if the gains are greater than losses, then that mutual fund is going to kick out that distribution or a taxable gain to those investors, typically in December uh, of that year. Now, if you're in an IRA or a a non-taxable account, it's not an issue. But if you're in in a a non-qualified or these taxable accounts, uh, we know these taxes from investments are a big deal. And and it's something that happens. And these cap gains, what's so hard about it is, if you're a taxable investor, Sophie, you know, if, if you receive that distribution from the, from the fund company who has more gains than losses that kicks out this distribution, if you reinvest that, right, if you just take that money and reinvest it back in the fund, it's still a taxable event. Uh, doesn't seem fair somehow that you're taxed for something that you do get to keep, but even if you reinvest that distribution, uh, it's, it's a taxable event and it can be, it can be a, a big headwind, a, a big reduction in people's investment returns for the year. So that's um, that's a lot. Are these distributions consistent year through year, or is there? Do you see strong variation, especially if you take this year, which is such an anomaly in so many ways? Is this year going to see a big spike or a big reduction? Or I, I imagine I'm yeah, sort yeah. of asking you to predict the future, which obviously is impossible. But you've been in and around taxes so long. Yeah, it's it's a fair question. And the point is, 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 is the are the distributions on average, again, these funds who add their gains and losses and kick out these gains, is there reason to believe this year is going to be worse, better, the same as has been historically? And we can look at, we can look, look back again, looking backwards and see, you know, what's happened in the past to give some insight on that. And we think about 2018 was a year that actually had some volatility at the very end. Uh, lots of, lots of buying and selling during the year. Uh, the market was actually negative for that year in 2018. The average distribution was 11% of the net asset value, right? So wait, again, wait, wait. Like, so I got a yeah. negative return on my fund, and yet I still had the honor of paying a tax distribution of on average 11%? So if you think about it, think if you had a th- $1,000 investment in, 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 in the U.S. stock market, let's say something tied to the, to the S&P 500, that average 11% distribution, you think about it, $1,000 that's the $111 distribution that comes to you on a 1099. The 1099 is that form you get every year uh, after your end that you put in an envelope and save in a drawer and give to your CPA at your end. 
Mm -hmm. uh, well, that 1099, $111 uh, taxable event that you taxed on, even again, as we said, even if you reinvest $111, you're still paying a, a, a tax on that amount. So 2018, that was the average. Uh, we look at another year, 2015, when markets were reasonably flat. Uh, that average distribution was uh, around 10% uh, of the, the investment amount. Last year, the markets were up over 30%. Uh, that distribution amount was around, on average, 7% of the investment amount. So you, you think about this year, and you talked about this earlier in, in our discussion. First quarter this year, we saw some heavy selling pressure in, in the market. People were starting to get nervous about what's going on. Uh, people were rightly or wrongly selling out, going to cash. That kind of uh, pressure puts, puts pressure on mutual funds to sell, to sell shares, right, to raise cash. So they're going to sell what they have. And, and many of these fund companies only have stocks that have gone up in value. So when they create that selling pressure, it, it, it creates uh, unproductive turnover and it's going to increase this uh, capital gains we've seen historically over the time period. So you look at what's happening year to date, you think of first quarter and the volatility we've seen. Uh, there's a chance that this year is, is not attractive in regards to capital gain distributions that come out from mutual funds. In fact, Sophie, we've seen some fund companies who have already kicked out distributions of June of this year, trying to get ahead of it, to try to you know, put out some gains in June and some in December of this year. So just based on a few fund companies already kicking out gains, uh, one would think that this could be a, uh, a higher than average or less than ideal year for, for taxable events. And when, um, when fund companies kick out a distribution midway through the year like that, which sounds like it's a bit unusual, right? Typically it's more at year end. Um, What's the strategy there? Is that a tax planning strategy or is that a, we want to help you be able to tax plan? Like we're going to be a little bit transparent here. It's going to be kind of, we're not going to use the word bloodbath, but a little bit yeah. of a bloodbath. There's a lot of carbon monoxide in the environment yeah, right. right now. We're going, to, we're going to go small doses. Here's one dose in June. And, and then, you know, just so that you can prepare for December rather than sort of dumping a whole bunch at the end of the year. And then investors are kind of left with not a lot of choices because not a lot of time is left. Is that, is that the thinking behind that? Or what, what is that? It sounds like a somewhat unusual strategy. And especially if not everybody does that. Yeah, so at Russell Investments, we don't do that. You know, we, 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 we do our distributions once a year in, in December. But you can imagine a fund company who, who, who kicks out gains in, in June and December. If they take, take, let's say, half of it gets kicked out, distributed in June of this year, when they report in December of this year, right, and people focus on your distributions, their distribution as a percent of the investment amount looks smaller. Right? It looks smaller than, than it's in line or, or lower than peers. So it's a way of trying to get that year-end number, trying, trying to get that number down to where it doesn't stand out uh, at your end and trying to get ahead of it. So it hides the total maybe, but uh, it, it may help some others get around that showing a lower number for December, but not year-end, not for the full year. So you, we've just talked a lot about mutual funds and you know the sort of average distributions that a mutual fund might kick out and some different strategies that they use for, for good and maybe somewhat interesting, we'll call it interesting reasons yeah. um, of kicking out twice in one year. What about index funds? Because oftentimes when we think about tax managed investing and you know being sensible around taxes or sensitive to, to taxes in our investment portfolios, oftentimes people say, well, I'm, I'm covered because I'm using an index fund or I have an ETF or something. How do how do ETFs look compared to mutual funds in this area? Are they are they a better solution? Generally, they are better than the average active fund. But let's just let's just talk about index funds. 
there are index funds out there that do have capital gains. Uh, you look at an index fund, we look at data from Morningstar uh, every month, every quarter, and there are many, many index funds that have material tax drag. Uh, the index fund could have selling pressure, again, creating taxable event uh, in these index funds. There's some index funds that may change benchmarks during the year, which could create turnover in, in the portfolio. Again, it's just interesting looking at the universe of index funds uh, in Morningstar. Uh, there are some cap gains that people would be surprised at how much are being, being being paid out. I just would encourage our listeners, don't assume that 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 going passive, going index fund is better than active. There is some tax drag there. I think you'd be surprised to see how much tax drag some of these index funds can have uh, th that are out there. Interesting. So, so index funds might be a little bit less bad. Are all mutual funds treated and do they act and, you know, are they all created equally and the same? If you look at the Morningstar universe of, of, of mutual funds, uh, index funds, ETFs, active funds, the number that are specifically tax managed is for U.S. equities, no more than a couple dozen. The, the, the thousands of mutual funds out there, Sophie, they all focus on pre-tax return. No surprise to our listeners that, you know, Russell Investments, we have tax managed mutual funds, right? right? In, in the title, it says tax managed. In the prospectus, it says tax managed. And, and when you have a fund that is tax managed by designation, you already raise your hand and say, clearly, I care about taxes. You know, it really opens up the things that we can do as a firm and our portfolio managers can do. There's things that we can do to try to minimize those distributions, increase the after-tax return, right? By being in a tax-managed mutual fund, just many, many things we can do around that to try to to do those things. So, so if the majority of let's say in the U.S. equity space, um, U.S. equity mutual funds are actually not paying attention to taxes, then that means that those remaining 12 or you know dozen or so approximately that are focused on taxes, they must be enormous because there's got to be trillions of dollars of taxable money out there, right? I mean, or, or where is this money invested? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point, Sophie. It's so funny because as, as, as industry... We all focus on pre-tax return. Uh, it's, it's inherent from coming from old DB plans, defined benefit plans, or, or whatever it might be. And the industry and the, the materials and the, the, the fact sheets, we all show it's pre-tax return. But what's interesting is, and, and again, you think there's only a, a couple dozen tax-managed equity funds, must not be a big deal. But if you look at the data, so if we look at the data from the ICI, the Investment Company Institute, they publish every year their big fact book. It shows that if you look at how those open and mutual fund assets are invested, almost half of the assets, I think it's over $8 trillion, actually reside in taxable accounts, right? So it's over $8 trillion that are invested in accounts that have to pay a tax. So why, as the industry focuses on pre-tax return, there's like over $8 trillion reasons to focus on after-tax return. And that's one of the reasons we're talking about this today, one of the reasons that we've been successful around this, because it, it, it's a big deal and there's a big chance here for advisors to add value by focusing on taxes. When the industry kind of has done a kind of, I would say, a poor job of, of, of helping clients be successful on this topic. Yeah, I get, it, it makes it seem like in the past it hasn't been as important, as you say, you know, sort of focusing on retirement assets, whether that be in DB plans or in DC plans or in IRAs and that sort of thing. They, they you know, aren't treated the same um, by taxes. And so there hasn't been that need. But 
potentially with with growing. I mean, you know, eight trillion dollars is is not an insignificant amount, right? That's not just a rounding error anymore. Um, maybe there will be, you know, more light shined on on that and and more solutions created. Well, and then I'm one. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just funny, Sophie, because the, the financial press. They'll talk about this issue briefly in March, February, March of every year. They'll talk about capital gains and taxes. April 15th comes along, and it was radio silent for another 12 months around the following February. And it's like people only pay attention to it you know, once a year at tax time. Then they, they move on and forget about it. And it's something, again, to your point earlier, if you really get on and focus on it all year long, there's a chance to make a material difference for, for their clients. Yeah, unless you're Frank Pape and Rob Kaharik at Russell Investments and our trading team and our tax-managed portfolio managers that are focusing on this day in and day out, which you know leads me to my next question, Frank, of so if we are going to focus on taxes and if you know I'm an advisor who thinks, wow, okay, I, I want to help the $8 trillion sort of you know business opportunity here, I'm all in. What do I do differently? What does a tax-managed portfolio manager look like, and how is that different from a regular portfolio manager? I talked about the tools that we can pull uh, that we can pull uh, in our fund, or the levers we can pull with, within our funds. And if you were to talk to Megan Roach or John Eggins or Kevin Devaney uh, or the trading teams that, that, that work with them on our tax-managed equity funds, there's a series of, of these levers they can pull uh, to include, you know, short-term versus long-term holding gains harvesting losses when, when those opportunities present themselves, uh, focusing on qualified, non-qualified dividends, being hyper aware of specific tax lots. The team could spend hours, and you know this is true too, Sophie, hours talking about any of those. But uh, those are the kind of levers that we can pull in our portfolios. And again, in the standard fund, they don't think about short-term versus long-term. They don't even want to harvest a loss because they don't care about taxes. So, so th- there are a lot of strategies, and yeah. um, and they are exciting. It's always wonderful to hear from our tax managed portfolio managers, and they get so excited. And I've noticed their level of excitement has gone up dramatically in the first half of this year, and right around March, right when everybody else is sort of at the trading desk with their head in their hands and thinking, "Oh my goodness." The tax managed um, team is head in their hands thinking, oh my goodness, there's so many fantastic opportunities here because of all of the tax loss harvesting opportunities. Among the the list of strategies that you mentioned there with sort of the short term, the holding period, harvesting losses, um, qualified versus non-qualified dividends, being aware of specific tax lots, which one of those strategies do you think has sort of been potentially the most rewarding or will bear out to have been the most rewarding for and for tax sensitive investors this year? Often the answer is going to be loss harvesting, but especially for the reason you talked about the first quarter of this year, I think this this idea of loss harvesting is just going to be huge and usually beneficial for, for tax managed funds. So loss harvesting is probably the biggest one. So how does that work? Can you walk us through an example? Yeah, you think about it. When you invest, when you invest in anything, your hope is that that investment's going to go up. And we wish that all investments went up in a nice straight line going going through time. But to our point earlier, we know there's periods like first quarter when 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 stocks go down, the whole market goes down. Uh, and when when that happens, if you own a stock uh, that goes down in value and and you're able to sell that stock, you are then realizing a loss. Remember, if you don't sell the stock, you don't, you don't sell it at a gain or loss. It's just unrealized. Once you sell that stock that's gone down as a low, lower price than what you paid for it, you just then realize that loss or you harvested that loss. 
by harvesting that loss, you now have created a tax asset. You have this, this negative amount, this loss that you could use to offset against gains this year, or you can use that loss, you can carry it forward to future years offset against gains. So you can imagine that volatility, so if we saw in the first quarter with all the losses, all that, that volatility, the downward pull on, on the market, if you were predisposed, if you were ready, if you had the systems, the people, the processes in place, you could you could jump on the, the, those opportunities, harvest those losses, because nobody wants the market to go down, but it does. You harvest those losses, uh, you're able to redeploy those assets and other or similar like uh, stock holdings to, to be exposed in the market. But now you've created this tax asset that just increases your tax efficiency as you go forward. Um, and so, so again, if I'm if I'm an advisor that is interested in starting this, what might be a helpful starting point? Are there are there places that I can go to read about? What's a process that I might think about? How might I identify, you know, clients that? How do I know that I have tax smart investors in my in my book of business? I mean, obviously, for some of them, it's it's very obvious, but. Uh, is there is there an argument here to be made for sort of rediscovering clients because there might be sort of hidden opportunities and and stuff in in my book already or is this about go go and get these this type of new client? No, it's it's really for both. We we kid around like you know who cares about taxes? You know, it's people with money, right? And 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 advisors who can get in front of this topic and demonstrate value to existing clients and to prospects and, and their existing clients will share this information with their friends and colleagues. But uh, if the advisor is able to make a meaningful difference and higher after-tax returns, dial down that amount that they're paying out in taxes and, and maximize the ending wealth, uh, it, it's pretty powerful. And again, uh, advisors have existing clients to work with who, who, who have these, these opportunities. And then for, for, for prospects and new money, it's a huge opportunity to make part of your value add proposition when you talk to them uh, about how you invest uh, their money. So is it primarily for my high net worth investors or you, you, when you say anybody, you know, really anybody who has money cares about taxes, but I pay taxes every year. So at least once a year, I care about taxes. So if I'm, if I'm a tax paying citizen, should I be caring about tax managed investing as well? Or my clients that are just, you know, normal quote unquote um, taxpayers, should I be bringing this to their attention too? That's interesting you bring that because we talk to advisors so often, they will, especially in investors, but even advisors say, well, no, Mike, I don't have any ultra, you know, super high net worth people or, or people in the top tax bracket. And it's true, you know, in the U.S., uh, the more you make, generally, not always, but generally, the more you make, the, the, the more you pay. But even people in with modest incomes, if you look at a, a couple married filing joint uh, tax status, if they have taxable income, not, not, not AGI, but taxable income north of $78,000, their, their tax rate, their marginal tax rate is 22%. So 22 cents out of every dollar of interest income, uh, non-qualified dividends, or short-term capital gains are going to be taxed at uh, 22%. So it's true that the more you make, the more this, this matters. But even people who have a modest income, uh, there's a reason to be in front of this tax drag on, on, on those distributions, be it, again, dividends, interest income, cap gains. Uh, you should be aware of this for people who have have, have that uh, those taxable accounts. And I guess even even investors who I mean that's that's if we were thinking about sort of you know their income um, statements or you know their their 1099s and their um, and their 1040s. But even even investors who suddenly land a big windfall, whether it be an inheritance payout or an insurance payout, or maybe they've just you know sold a business or something like that. I mean those. 
those investors presumably also, right? That suddenly that's a huge taxable windfall. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly right. When people come into the, these these kind of uh, windfall or, or, or cash sums from whatever you mentioned, selling a business uh, insurance uh, insurance settlement, what do you do with this money, right? Typically, these proceeds are going to be taxable type dollars, and you don't want to put it into some sort of investment. It's going to start kicking out big cap gains or big tax drag. You really should understand that after tax return and being being tax smart about it because you, no one wants to pay more than they have to because uh, that's brutal. Well, um, thank you very much, Frank. Um, thanks for giving us a, a tour of sort of the state of the world and how we can be sort of thinking about taxes today uh, as we are sort of approaching, as, as you mentioned, we are recording this on July 13th today um, in our home offices in and around Seattle, um, but how we can be thinking about the, our tax deadline coming in a couple of days and thinking about taxes even beyond that, sort of every day beyond that, because every day we can be making a difference. Um, certainly as advisors, we can be making a difference on behalf of our clients and for our own business and helping our business grow by differentiating ourselves and focusing on taxes, helping those high net worth investors and most of our other clients too, in terms of uh, in terms of being more sensitive around taxes with and, and for them. So with that, I want to thank you very much for your time, Frank. I know that you're incredibly br- busy bringing the, the message of tax managed investing and the passion that, that you have for it as well to advisors and to investors around the country. So thanks for having joined us here today. We got to hear you live in action today. And um, we will be back again soon with another episode of the podcast. Thank you, Sophie. Bye. This podcast was recorded from our home offices in and around Seattle on July 13th, 2020. And thank you, as always, to our amazing editor, producer, and sound engineer, Conrad Piper-Ruth.